1: Cyberbit is offering Cyberwire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at Cyberbit.com/slash Cyberwire. Ghostwriter is back and has moved its chaos troops against fresh targets in Poland and Germany. The NACON APT has a new secondary backdoor. FluBot, temporarily inhibited by police raids, is back and expanding its infection of Android devices across Europe. Microsoft is rethinking how much and with whom it wants to share vulnerability information. Joe Kerrigan examines a phone scam targeting Amazon Prime customers. Our guest is Zuri Bar Yoche of Reblaze on open source software and scalability. And Signal's discovery of Celebrite issues is finding its way into court. From the CyberWire studios at DataTribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Wednesday, April 28, 2021. Several security companies have released news about revived threats. We'll run through a few of the more prominent discussions. FireEye's Mandiant unit this morning updated its research into Ghostwriter, an influence operator that came to attention last year as it sought to affect public opinion in Latvia, Lithuania, and Poland. Its messaging then was anti-NATO. The campaigns of 2020 relied upon artlessly crude forgeries and implausible rumor-mongering. But, of course, disinformation doesn't need to be art, as long as it can get the right amplification which Ghostwriter worked to accomplish. It was easy for officials to quickly debunk such hogwash as the claim that Canadian soldiers were spreading COVID-19 or that an internal memo circulating in the Polish Ministry of Defense called for resistance against an American army of occupation, a forged memo helpfully provided hijacked social media accounts used to lend plausibility to a very implausible narrative. CyberScoop offered a useful account of these efforts at the end of last July, but of course lies can have a bit of a run if they're provided with a head start. In any case, Ghostwriter has now expanded its thematic content to include disruption of domestic Polish politics, and also, according to Tagesschau, credential theft attacks on German political figures. FireEye believes the threat actor it tracks as UNC1151 operates some portions of Ghostwriter. The firm characterizes UNC1151 as a suspected state-sponsored cyber espionage actor that engages in credential harvesting and malware campaigns. Tagashow calls the attackers Chaos Troops, which is apt enough for an operation that aims at disruption. At least seven members of Germany's Bundestag have received phishing emails, as have some 30 members of the Lender Assembly, that is, the state-level legislators. German authorities are taking activity seriously. FireEye, as is its practice, doesn't attribute Ghostwriter explicitly to any government, but the firm does note that its activities are aligned with Russian security interests. This isn't, it appears, just prim policy on the company's part, but rather a recognition of the inherent challenges of attribution. FireEye writes in their full report, quote, At this time, we do not attribute the Ghostwriter campaign to a specific actor or group of actors. Instead, we refer to Ghostwriter as an activity set, with various incidents tied together by overlapping behavioral characteristics and personas, rather than as an actor or group in itself, end quote. The report goes on to say, quote, "...it appears based on the limited public information available regarding the website compromises we've tied to Ghostwriter, that the actors behind the campaign are relatively well-resourced, either directly possessing traditional cyber threat capabilities themselves or having ready access to operational support from others who do. It is plausible that Ghostwriter operations are conducted by overlapping actors or groups that are also behind other influence campaigns." or incidents of cyber threat activity, quote. FireEye doesn't say as much, but the ghostwriter actors do prowl and growl like bears. But their study is interesting as a case study in careful study of espionage and influence campaigns. Attribution is inherently difficult. Operational style rarely amounts to dispositive evidence. In American targeting jargon, this sort of evidence amounts to a set of possibly related target indicators, not clearly discerned targets. Bitdefender reports a new approach by the NACON APT, a group it associates with the Chinese government. Active for more than 10 years, NACON focuses on government and military targets in South Asia. It's now deploying a secondary backdoor Nebulae, which Bitdefender believes plays an important role in the APT's persistence in victim networks. Flubot, temporarily bopped when Spanish police arrested several of the hoods associated with the Android malware earlier last month, is back and expanding its geographical reach, Proofpoint reports. New infestations have been observed in the United Kingdom, Germany, Hungary, Italy, Poland, and Spain. Proofpoint expects Flubot to reach North America soon. FluBot infections begin with an SMS message baited with a bogus notification from a spoofed delivery service. Should the victim swallow the hook, FluBot installs a payload on their device that includes spyware, an SMS spammer, and credit card and banking credential stealers. According to Bloomberg, Microsoft is rethinking how it shares information with the 81 corporate members of the Microsoft Active Protection Program— Redmond suspects that some participants may have tipped off hackers when Microsoft gave MAP members early warning of the vulnerabilities Hafnium rapidly exploited and that were swiftly taken up by cybercriminals. Microsoft and most others regard Hafnium as a Chinese government threat actor. While Microsoft continues to see many advantages in MAP, it's reconsidering how much and with whom it ought to share in the future. At present, suspicion centers on two Chinese firms that participate in MAP. Bloomberg asked the Chinese government about the incident and received the pious bromide one might expect, quote, China resolutely opposes any form of online attacks or infiltration. This is our clear and consistent stance. Relevant Chinese laws on data collection and handling clearly safeguards data security and strongly oppose cyber attacks and other criminal activity, end quote. Beijing also offered some instruction for the media. Quote, We hope the media adopts a professional and responsible attitude, relying on comprehensive evidence when determining the nature of cyberspace events, but not groundless speculation. End quote. So, okay then. And finally, inevitably, the vulnerabilities in Celebrite's forensic tool that Signal recently exposed have found their way into the courtroom. Vice reports that defense attorneys for a convicted robber whose collar was enabled by data obtained using Celebrite have entered a motion for a new trial. The lawyers argue, quote, In essence, internal security on Celebrite devices is so poor that any device that is examined may in turn corrupt the Celebrite device and affect all past and future reports. They also argue that, quote, a new trial should be ordered so that the defense can examine the report produced by the Celebrite device in light of this new evidence and examine the Celebrite device itself, End quote. This is, as Gizmodo suggests, unlikely to be the last motion of this kind. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io/slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Visit N-E-T-S-K-O-P-E There's a popular philosophy that making use of open source software not only has the potential to save time in your development process, but can lead to more secure outcomes as well. Zuri Bar Yoche is co founder and CTO of security company Reblaze, and he believes that for security, open source software is the way to go.
2: When it comes to cybersecurity, you should aim using as much as possible open source frameworks, open source platforms, and open source software. The reason is um, when you use open source, the obscurity is a factor you removed from the equation, and if there is a bug of say security bug, vulnerability within the framework, the platform, the tool you're using,' most likely with the popular open source to be fixed, and corrected, even discovered quicker than within any other proprietary uh, alternative. Open source today in security is actually used, I would say almost everywhere, anywhere. If you're looking at TLS, SSL, HTTPS, Secure Web Application, Secure Website, Secure API, most likely uh, the underlying software used is either OpenSSL or LibreSSL or any other implementation, all of them which are open source. Um, Encryption, uh, common encryption methodologies and techniques and algorithms are all open source, so it's everywhere. And most of the cases so far that we have been looking at vulnerabilities were taken uh, uh, advantage by hackers by i would say by malicious uh, um activities um those actually were made exploiting and taking advantage of a time window of which the used software was uh, known to have vulnerability such as a CVE disclosure and yet it took time for the organization to patch, to fix, to correct their platform, to update their platform and to prevent against that, uh, um, z- what was up until that point, a zero day attack. Um, so again, with open source things are, uh, are done usually quicker and faster.
1: And when you hear that folks are, are resisting the use of open source,
2: what is typically the argument there? I barely hear those voices, to be honest. I can imagine people still thinking that security by obscurity is still a thing, which obviously it isn't. So for them, um, proprietary, um, it's like a smoke screen that makes things uh, makes things uh, harder for hackers to break in, which is not the case.
1: That's Zuri Bar Yohei from Reblaze. visit vanta.com/cyber to take a self-serve tour that's vanta.com/cyber Joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute, and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Hello, Joe. Hi, Dave. You know, uh, over on Hacking Humans, you and I cover a lot of stories about uh, scammers and, and scams and people being uh, victimized by these folks. And uh, yes, I want to highlight one of those stories. This is from the Chicago Tribune. Uh, article written by Kimberly Fornick, and it's titled, Indian Head Park Woman Loses $48,000 in Amazon Prime Phone Scam that Took a Month to Unfold, Sun Says. Right. What's going on here, Joe?
0: So what happened was, uh, actually, this woman was brought to police attention in in early March, on March 4th, when she went to a grocery store and purchased two $500 gift cards. Uh, hmm. she's, a, she's an older woman. She is uh, 87 years old. And the clerk, who is actually, you know, kind of an unsung hero in this story, the first thing this clerk does is call the cops and go, look, I think this lady's getting scammed out of some money because generally 87-year-old women don't come in here and buy two $500 gift cards. Right. Um, and the, the police managed to find the, find this woman. They went to her house, and the woman was adamant, absolutely adamant that, that she had uh, purchased these gift cards for family members. Hmm. but come to find out what had happened was she was a victim of an Amazon scam, and we're seeing these more and more in the news. People say, uh, the scammers call you up or notify you and say, hey, there was a big purchase made on your account, and we need to work this out, right? Um, Mm -hmm. And I don't even know if this woman has an Amazon account. Maybe she does, maybe she doesn't, but the scammer said it was a $600 uh, purchase, and then it became a $6,000 purchase, and somehow he managed to get her to start sending gift cards to him. Uh, and he was saying, look, if you don't help me out here, I'm going to get fired, right? So mm-hmm. he was playing playing on this woman's sympathies, her desire to help people, uh, right. along with her fear of having to owe money for something she didn't do. But in the end, this guy had managed to uh, get her to send him $48,000 worth of gift cards by constantly telling her, uh, these gift cards, I can't access the money because you purchased them with cash. This is things that... Absolutely don't make sense to me, right? These mm-hmm. are non sequitur statements. But to somebody who's not familiar with how gift cards work, it may make sense. It may be some kind of thing that you can uh, that that you can wrap your head around, or some kind of uh, some kind of model that you can fit in there to complete complete the thing. Uh, right. But it's important to remember. It's important that we have to educate these people. Oh well, one thing I want to say about this story uh, is that this scammer uh, did a remarkably good job at isolating this woman uh hmm. she did not talk to people about it she uh when the cops showed up and asked her about it she was prepared by the scammer she was groomed by the scammer to say no no i'm buying these for a family member mm-hmm. even though this cuz the scammer knows that's what's going to happen is somebody's going to say who are you buying this for and the scammer says you tell them that you're buying it for a family member regardless
1: right whatever right. they ask you don't want you. me to get in trouble you don't want me to lose right. my job right yeah
0: this this is a gift card scam with a new angle, and I think maybe that's why they're going going after it is because Amazon does accept gift cards, um, but a, but they have to be Amazon gift cards. So yeah. maybe they're instructing this woman go out and buy some Amazon gift cards because you can walk into any store and buy Amazon gift cards, uh, right? And if I'm pretending to be from Amazon, that might be a plausible uh, a plausible scam.
1: Yeah, I, and I guess the, part of what we're we're after here is try, trying to get the word out to your. Your loved ones, you know, most of us are probably in a situation where we're providing tech support for many of our family members who may not be as, uh, you know, sophisticated when it comes to devices as we are. Yeah. And so part of that is educating them that if anybody asks you for anything having to do with a gift card, that is a big red flag. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, and the problem here
0: is that this this woman was isolated so you have to get out there now and tell people about this uh, because mm-hmm. once once the scammer gets gets their talons into the victim they're not letting go you know they' and that and that victim is probably never going to tell you about it uh, which is right. which is the way these guys want it they want mm-hmm. this to be an under the rug kind of event you know
1: mm-hmm. Yeah. In this case, uh, the woman's son found out what had happened, and he was the one who uh, went back to the police. Right. And as you mentioned earlier, uh, she'd been conned out of $48,000. $48,000. And
0: there's probably nothing she can do to get that money back.
1: Nope. Nope. All right. Well, go out there, tell your friends and family, remind them (laughs) to be aware of these sorts of things and you know, gift cards are a red. You know, it's funny, Joe. I was at the local uh, Home Depot uh, just last week. I was buying some stuff to, uh, you know, prep my gardens for spring. And yep. uh, right there next to the checkout was a sign that's, that talked about gift cards. And yeah, if, and I, actually,
0: I had the exact same experience at Lowe's. Both Home Depot hmm. and Lowe's have these signs up, I guess. Yeah. It's a big sign that says that this is a scam. And right. good on Home if Depot If someone has asked
1: you to buy gift cards... It's likely a scam. That's right.
0: Thank you, Home Depot and Lowe's, for putting those signs up. That's fantastic.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's a shame it's gotten to that point where it's necessary. But uh, here we are, right? Yep, absolutely. (laughs) All right. Well, Joe Kerrigan, thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. The Cyberwire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland at the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing Cyberwire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Ivan. Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow.